today we get after it. We go back for more as we wrap up 1984. The music, the comics, the television. In comic books, the new Teen Titans, the Legion of Superheroes, get serious facelifts. We're talking big time upgrades. Green Lantern is a title that demands your attention in 1984. In music, Prince and Purple Rain. Purple freaking rain dominates. Bruce Springsteen is born in the USA and we get footloose and fancy free as we wrap up an incredible year. We're going to talk it up on an all new episode of Rob's Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Rob's Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. Each and every episode, I started off telling you what I do because there's a chance you may not know anything about me. I write, I draw, I produce, I make comic books uh, just shy of 38 years now. They have been my lifelong obsession. Uh, comic books just put a giant smile on my face. Pretty much this entire last year as I do the, the, this season's worth of observations, I am just meeting deadlines right and left outside of the show. Just uh, so many comic books, so many covers, so many different uh, pages to produce to to get, to get books to market. And, and I feel the same passion and, and the same excitement that I did when I pulled them off the rack when I was seven years old. 1974. Wow, that sounds like the wild, wild west. But that is how long I have had a love affair with comics. It is going uh, stronger than ever. And... We talk about comics. We talk about comic book superheroes. We talk about the way comic books have exploded across the culture on Rob's observations. And today we are going to go right into the second half of 1984. Our decade series has proven to be uh, one that, that that the listeners, uh, that all of you uh, enjoy receiving as much as I enjoy uh, sharing them with you. It is it is always really smart to look back and study what's come before and, and, and look at the trends and maybe look at the breakouts and the innovations in order to inspire whatever you're about to do next. And that, that goes for all the different categories of pop culture, the, the movies, the television, the comic books, and, and, uh, and, and, and the music. The music in 1984 is great. We're going to get to that today. We're going to um, get to some of the TV and, and, uh, Oh man, there's some really great stuff going on in both of those spaces in 1984. I myself was 15, 16 in in 1984. Spent the most of the year, 15 years old, turned 16 in uh, in October. It was my junior year of high school. Uh, that that's just how I was receiving so much of this information. And the great thing about when we go back and and look at this and and, and from a comic book fan's perspective, because when I'm talking to you about 1984, strictly as a comic book fan, some of these years I've been able to go back and tell you how I was experiencing it as a professional. But as a fan, um, it was a very exciting time for me. I my, my income had 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 increased a little. I had a part time job. I worked at a, uh, a printing press. Uh, and 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 made and and made uh, some really good money Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, enough to spend them on the occasional dates that I could afford and work in a reasonable comic book budget. But to be honest, most of my money was going to comic books at that time. Also, arcades. I'd go to arcades. I'd play a lot of video games. Uh, that was kind of the only period in my life that I was really into video games. The video games that were like you know Asteroids, Space Invaders, Pac Man, the stuff that really 
more or less defines that era of of the eighties. When you know when Stranger Things does uh, an entire season set in the eighties, as 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 they've done with with many of their episodes. Um, I mean, that is my childhood, especially the ones where they go to the mall. The entire where the Russians had taken over the mall, and uh, oh man, that that was just a complete. Uh, in, incredible journey back. Matter of fact, one of the reasons that I love Stranger Things from the beginning, from the very first episode, uh, when, when it launched, I believe, summer of 2016, uh, is is uh, is when they talked about uh, the Uncanny X Men issue that they were going to trade in the opening, like five minutes, as they're on their uh, as the, the the kids are biking home, and it's a Hellfire Club issue of X Men, and it was absolutely. Um, reflective of that time it was it was it was a historical note and it perked me up oh man they're talking about my favorite comic books from my childhood riding the bikes that i rode hey comic books is where we left off in 1984 and we left off in the middle of the year and 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 looking over july and august september october november december the one thing that strikes out to me about comic books in 1984 is they're all really good there's a ton of just really good comic books coming out. I, I had mentioned that the, the, the superstar uh, talent like John Byrne was 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 doing his two books a month on the same week. If if you haven't listened to part one, I, I go I go through and tell you every week of that year, John Byrne is giving you both the Fantastic Four and Alpha Flight, and and with 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 zero exception, he is he is. Um, shipping those on the same week, uh, just an incredible flex of, of talent and of discipline. And it was always around the middle of the month that, that he would, uh, that he would give these to us and we would go crazy for them. And just, just imagine, uh, you know, imagine getting, getting them twice a month and then no, no less than getting them, uh, getting them on the same week. On the, on the same damn week, you're going to be getting who, for many people, he was he was their favorite artist, and that was just an incredible, uh, in, in, just an absolutely incredible feat. Um, he kept it up for literally most of the entire year, and and then Walt Simonson is is going out there and and crushing it on Thor. Still, the 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 energy, the ideas, the 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 drawing. I mean, just. A phenomenal run, a flex uh, for the character that, to me, is is right up there with with what Kirby and, and Stan Lee did in their in their long run. Walt Simonson was like the guru. As important Thor uh, in my childhood as Frank Miller was to Daredevil, as John Byrne was to the X Men. Uh, Marvel was doing a lot of interesting books. Secret Wars, we touched on that, was the dominant book of the year, and one of the reasons it was the dominant book of the year is, again, when you look back. It didn't have a whole lot to compete with. Everything was really good. Thor was really good. Um, you know, Fantastic Four, Alpha Flight, really good. Over at at DC, um, it was actually a really a, a year for DC where they were getting stronger, and they'd been getting stronger every year since 1980, since George Perez and Marvel Wolfman, two giant, massive Marvel talents who had been doing Spider Man, who had been doing Fantastic Four, who had been doing Avengers. Marvel two and one, uh, a, a, a giant memorable X Men annual that electrified the entire fan base. When, when an art uh, rep, 
an art dealer showed me pages from uh, X-Men Annual 3 that George Perez did, inked by Terry Austin. He said, let me tell you, Rob, this is better than any issue John Byrne ever did. That, that's my opinion. And, and, and while I don't quite um, agree that it's better than any issue John Byrne did, it's, it's as good as them. It's as good. It was that important, the work that George Perez did on that annual and the electricity that we felt as fans. And George is the one that drew the Avengers and drew Fantastic Four and drew that X-Men annual and drew Project Pegasus and, and, and different um, issues in, in, in a Marvel two-in-one run. He had already done, uh, you know, Sons of the Tiger, a martial arts comic. He did White Tiger. He created a, a, a really great Latino superhero uh, that, that in, in, the, in the mid to late 70s. His impact, he was such a fan favorite. His Avengers and his Fantastic Four stuff uh, was just beloved. Marv Wolfman writing Spider-Man, writing, writing uh, Fantastic Four, two of the flagships during really important periods, big anniversary uh, issues. He was um, writing Nova, which was a character that everybody had high hopes for, was very excited by, ended up uh, not, not quite taking off the way Marvel wanted. But when they cross the street, they go to DC Comics and they reinvigorate the Titans, which they had tried, DC had tried to reinvigorate the Titans in like 76, 77 and just failed. But now they had these two giant um, breakout fan favorites and they absolutely uh, stuck the landing with the Titans and created an, an, an electricity uh, just... Uh, I would call it a seismic shift in, in, in how DC was making comics. I, I would say there was a lot of sameness to DC comics. It's the same thing sometimes I say about the marketplace today. DC comics had become very samey. I'm talking about 1980. And then, then they introduced the Titans, Cyborg, Starfire, uh, Raven, which would o open the door for the Hive and Deathstroke and and for for uh, Trigon and, and so many different concepts and so many different rich character interactions. Well, the reason I'm, I'm dwelling on the Titans is that in 1984, they relaunched the Titans and they relaunched Legion. And when I say they, I mean DC Comics. And when, when I mean relaunch, they kept the regular Legion and the regu regular Titans titles going. And they went out of their way to communicate to the fans through the fan press, through letters columns. These, these were the ways that you reached the fans was directly through the publications. And again, the companies had pretty good relationships with the fan press who had not yet decided that they would try and make you like what they liked, as was the case with the little um, treehouse, uh, uh, you know, clubhouse, uh, little boys clubhouse, mentality of the wizard which is like hey let's get everybody to like what what what, what, what little jimmy likes and and, and we'll just we'll, we'll just uh, load this up for bear with reasons why they can't like anything else but this um i've, I've done dedicated issues on on wizard and how that in, you know was was always going to implode and it did you know it's been in the rearview mirror over a decade now but amazing heroes comics journal uh, so some of these uh, publications outside of their interviews uh, and, and, and comics journal certainly had had a point of view but but the comic reader and amazing heroes and comics interview magazine these these just uh, would promote comic books and, and 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 work with the publishers to give great promotion um, sell sell you know big big ad buys to help educate you on their new titles and promote the, the stuff that they really wanted to to put their you know, Wait behind. Titans and Legion were relaunched on really, for the time, expensive paper. They called it Baxter paper, the Baxter titles. So Titans and Legion, the fans knew them as the Baxter 
uh, uh, titles, the Baxter launches. They were going to be on much heavier stock, and these comics were much heavier. The paper wasn't really uh, uh, just just of a finer uh, stock. Again, having worked in printing, you can you can just tell. Wow, this was heavier paper, whiter, much whiter, and it held details. Uh, and, and and they bump up the price, so you're getting a, a price increase and a brand new uh, you know edition of of what was DC's biggest selling titles in Legion and Titans. I've talked to you again. It was it was during the 80s that that Superman and Batman uh, considerably in in Batman's case sales fell and he lost titles and he was nowhere near the Batman that you dig today that that, that that can populate 19 titles because the interest is there it had shifted to the team dynamic even one of the books that they replaced batman with was the outsiders which used him to launch them and then they went on to again get their get a second title of their own called just the outsiders got they got uh baxter treatment nicer paper price bump uh it was the the it was just the era of the team book and DC had two of the most popular ones and Legion of Superheroes and Titans relaunched George Perez num- new Titans number one. And this is something that uh, my, my buddy Marat Michaels and I have, have talked about at length. Uh, there was a just absolute, uh, I mean, you could feel the, the excitement and the fan favor for, for new Titans number one. And George Perez just went all out. He inked it himself. He penciled it. He inked it. He uh, applied all the extra details that we who had been following his work would do on his covers. He did it on each and every page. Uh, but the schedule was such that number two came two months after number one. It was it was uh, it was well it was in a different month. Uh, and 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 so what happened is George had been slowed down, and then he would go to breakdowns or soft pencils, and Romeo Ton Hall, who had been inking him on the regular book, would then uh, jump in. During this time, George's George and Marvel are also wrapping up killer storylines. There's a Aqualad, uh, Aqua Girl themed Titan story with the Hive uh, that that happens during this time, and it was the one time that I had to go to uh, in 1984. I got my pretty much. Right when I got my license, I, I got a ticket, and I had to go and 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 serve, uh, you know, sit sit in uh, in court and and do traffic school all one Saturday uh, to get that thing removed from my record. Uh, I mean, I'd just gotten my license; I had to. And I remember going to Comic Castle in Fullerton, and they had the second part of the uh, Tales of the Teen Titan story that they were doing, uh, t- telling the Aqualad uh, Aqua Girl story with the Titans. It was a really cool um, underwater themed story. George was doing breakdowns. Another anchor named Mike DiCarlo was doing finishes. This is how he was able to do two books a month uh, at, at this period. It was great uh, practice for George, kind of wrapping up Tales of the Teen Titans, pulling you along still on the on, on what had been the flagship, and then getting you just completely wowed by new Titans with the extra detail that he was putting into each and every page. And the pages were bigger. George drew these pages slightly bigger than the regular um, the regular pages. At least the ones that he showed me were larger. And uh, I have I have a couple pages that he had done rough breakdowns on. And, and and pencils, and he gave them to me as a gift uh, at, at, at a show in 1984. And he was also touring uh, w- with the publication of New Titans, trying to get that out there. It was obviously a very be- a very big book, a bestseller for them because Titans had become DC's number one book, jumping over 
uh, Superman and Batman. And again, just never, ever underestimate the power of creativity that can just come on any title and rocket it uh, straight to the top. And this is what my generation was inspired by. The Frank Miller on Daredevil, the Walt Simonson on Thor, the George Perez, Marv Wolfman on, on the Titans. So Titans and Legion both went in the secondary editions. George is staying on Tales of the Titans. I just absorbed that uh, Titans issue on my lunch break. Uh, the, the Aqualad, Aquagirl storyline in the parking lot just poured over each and every page like, man, this is a gift. I couldn't believe that that I got this during this misery of, of traffic school that I had to you know, go to from 8 to, to 4 o'clock on a Saturday. But man, I just sat in my car because literally the courthouse in Fullerton is three blocks up, just literally three blocks up from the comic store, Comic Castle, where I got these comics. So this is these are vivid memories for me. But DC was... Um, leading the way with their team books, which had really capitalized on the heat that Marvel had started with X-Men. This entire early 80s period is not kind to the Avengers, and Avengers didn't have a great year. X-Men's doing okay, uh, but but over at DC again, Titans Legion, and then I'm going to tell you that Green Lantern, this era of Green Lantern does not get near enough the play. It is written by Lynn Wein. It is drawn by Dave Gibbons. Dave was an exciting fresh taste, uh, fre- fresh taste. He was a fresh taste on the page, a fresh talent who was just crushing it, um, delivering these incredible Green Lantern issues month in, month out. There was a character, a, kind of an obvious uh, to, to, to the fans, just because he had claws, everything back then would immediately uh, insight Wolverine, but there's a character named Predator, and this is also the era that uh, John Stewart really uh, took center stage uh, in, in the book. It, it is some of Len Wein's absolute best writing. This character named the Predator is is introduced. There's all um, sorts of new characters and concepts that are introduced during this year. Uh, Len really took Green Lantern and I think wanted to inject a ton of fresh ideas and 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 fresh emotion conflict with with uh with with Hal and Carol and then introducing John Stewart not introducing he didn't introduce John Stewart John Stewart is a character from from the the Neil Adams uh Denny O'Neill stuff but reintroducing him putting the spotlight back on John Stewart and and uh th- these were some of the first stories that I was interacting in this in the same way that the first time you heard of John Stewart on the on the Justice League cartoon the Bruce Tim you know influenced uh Justice League cartoon. This was me interacting with John Stewart in, in 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 the you know basically the most intimate way that I had interacted with him ever in comics. Heard about him, but boom, boom! Now he's right front and center. This Dave Gibbons run of Green Lantern, especially during uh, 1984, is just an absolute keeper, and and it is another standout. The the the, the Titans and the Legion get a lot of uh, get a lot of the spotlight. But let me tell you, this 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 Green Lantern run is is worth. Uh, I I would not even know if this is in uh, a trade trade paperback, uh, in, in trade paperback form. But what I would highly recommend is checking it out because it is it is really really beyond solid, and uh, I, I I just it, it, I I remember going, man, I I may have like. A new, a new favorite among, you know, the the, the many uh, favorite comics that I had. Like each and every month, it made its case, and uh, whether it was also Eclipso, 
and uh, oh man, there's just a killer cover, killer, killer cover with Eclipso and uh, and and John Stewart uh, wrestling above the skies. Green Lantern uh, 186. That that's actually uh, that that actually closes out the year uh, for, for for the title. But this in again. Last episode I did, uh, I did like a, like a, you know, maybe you should grab this Alien Worlds comic that has this Art Adams issues, uh, Art Adams, Art Adams story in it. Th- th- this is, uh, this is the uh, absolute run that I would, that I would look up because Green Lantern. Oh man, I'm just, I am literally checking each and every one of these issues out. Uh, just. Just hit some high notes. It really, it really hit some high notes during. And, and Green Lantern got really popular. They they did a Green Lantern core, uh, uh, you know, uh, about a year and a half later. But yeah, from from, I mean, just Dave Gibbons' art was so clean and so polished. And we all know him from Watchmen and the incredible uh, storytelling and detail and nuanced uh, efforts that he put into you know, page one to the final page of Watchmen, the the entirety of the brilliance of that work. But that's a quieter, more understated, no less genius work. But Green Lantern is Dave Gibbons doing a kick-ass, just a flat-out kick-ass just superhero comic. Uh, Just a incredible kick-ass superhero comic. I loved this Predator guy. Uh, And and there was... uh, you know, a kind of a wrecking crew type of uh, group of characters that were introduced called the Demolition Team. But Predator, black and silver, he had claws. Uh, Eclipso, uh, the, just the turmoil with Hal stepping down and John Stewart now coming in, and John's you know in the, in the debut when he's back. Uh, this is fresh. This is really fresh. You should absolutely check out this run of Green Lantern. Um, Camelot three thousand had been winding down. It is just to this day, uh, it would make the best. Uh, just one of the absolute best adapted works uh, about about uh, everyone from the Arthurian legend um, coming back to save Earth in the future from a, from a devastating alien attack and King Arthur uh, reassembling his court across the world to to to, uh, to to battle you know this incredible alien menaces and Morgan Morgana Le Fay is in it and again uh, just Brian Boland. Kind of like Michael Golden on Micronauts, this 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 one time that we got him on a, on a regular book, it fell fell somewhat behind schedule, but it was uh, just the most beautiful, stunning artwork. Brian Boland is one of the uh, celebrated artists of our time. You 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 may know him from the Killing Joke. We went crazy for him, he, knowing that he was because comic books from the UK were were were, were shared over here. So we got his Judge Dredd, we got his 2000 AD stuff, but his um, big, giant American uh, flex prior uh, to Killing Joke was Camelot 3000. So all this stuff is coming out. Uh, none of it is selling as good as I, as, as, as I said with Secret Wars, which caps off at the end of 1984. It's the August issue that the um, symbiote officially, within the context of the Secret War story, takes over... Uh, Spider-Man, and we get the 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 story behind how he got the black costume that he's had the entire year. Because again, the brilliance of Secret Wars is, hey, we're going to take these characters away, we're going to make them disappear for one year, but they're going to be back in their books the next month, carrying all the ramifications that 
um, that, that will come with the conclusion of this story. Don't you want to read this story? It really worked well. It was, it was this, you know, kind of giant event that happened that our characters returned to during the second issue in, into our, into our, you know, collective comic book consciousness, the, the, the story, the, the storylines and the continuity had to continue, but we were gripped. Like what happened? With the Beyonder, what happened with all these characters off-world during this time? And so you finally get in in in, in Secret Wars, uh, the August issue. I think it's Secret Wars eight is when Spider-Man has that great uh, uh, symbiote black costume spotlight on it. Now here's the deal: you got Jim Shooter, you got Mike Zek, um, you got the kid who sent in the uh, it, the the, the Spider-Man uh, sketch that depicted him in this black costume that Jim Shooter was so moved by that he went out and he bought it from the kid. He, he made a transaction so that they would be compensating this this, this kid who, who sent this in on a letters page. Rick Leonardi does all the initial designs that they need for the Spider-Man costume so that it can be passed around and all these other artists can can depict him. Ron Friends is is uh, is drawing him in the pages of Spider-Man. And, and uh, you know, this, this, this symbiote who would later become Venom and, and, and attach itself to Eddie Brock, which is now where we bring in David Miscellany and Todd McFarlane. I mean, this thing, much like Wolverine, was a concept by Roy Thomas. He walks over to John Romita Sr. He says, John Romita Sr., will you give me this Wolverine sketch? Will you des- des- uh, design this, this character that I want based on a Wolverine coming from Canada? Then they hand that off to Len Wein and Herb Trimpey. Uh, it, it, it's the case of many fathers. A whole lot of patronage going on with these characters that are basically um, conceived as committee, um, con- conceived like in, in, a, in a story break session and then are handed off to different pieces. Um, some of these characters, I mean, it, it makes it even more interesting when you, when you do uh, the, the, the many fathers of characters like Wolverine, like uh, Venom, and, and Gambit is, you know, in the same category. I've always mentioned before that I was the only time that I visited Marvel during that 80s period is when Chris Claremont came up, and and, I, and people who are there will tell you this. He took one step on Bob Harris's couch as his ladder, and then stepped up onto the uh, file cabinet, and then would um, sit up there in, in in cross-legged position like yoga. Chris was also very limber, uh, and he said, "I've come up with a character I want to call Gambit, and I am uh, going to base him on John Malkovich's character in Dangerous Liaisons." And I'm like, wow. And that's, I was gathering up my bag to exit the the X-Men office and go home, uh, go back to my hotel, go out, grab a bite to eat. I was flying home the next day. Uh, Chris Claremont was right there, you know, pitching Gambit in the office in front of Bob Harris and his assistant and anyone else who might have been there. And maybe this is common. Maybe this happened all the time. I did not live in New York. This was a, a you know, in my lifetime, I think I've been to the Marvel Comics offices while I was working there in the '90s, I think I went there three times. Um, otherwise, I was I was you know on the West Coast. But so many of these characters, because then the first cover is 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 not drawn, uh, is is maybe drawn by um, Adam Andy Kubert, and then the first story uh, is drawn by a different artist. And then Art Adams uh, drew Gambit in an X Men annual that may have shipped uh, the week before, or, or or you know maybe maybe the same week. So then you get these multiple parental. Uh, situations with 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 uh with what happened with wolverine with what happened with venom but the symbiote is where it all starts because you gotta have the symbiote in the black costume for it to become corrupted and jump onto eddie brock in the first place 
And that is a giant uh, issue at the, at, at the back half. Late summer came out last week of August. So kicked off really fall and, and going back to school. And then Secret Wars kicks off, double-sized issue, uh, jam, b- bunch of guys jamming on it. I touched on this last, last, um, last, last uh, the first, first part of 1984. And so Secret Wars really goes, you know, um, end to end. January, December, wraps it up. The trains run on time. Bob Layton does fill-in issues. Mike Zek, uh, John Beatty. This was the biggest uh, comic book. And, and something that needs to be said is, while Dark Knight and Watchmen in the years to follow would be the giant innovators, uh, I'm not sure anybody brought more kids into comic stores than Secret Wars. It was a toy tie-in. The toys, as we've talked about in a dedicated podcast of Secret Wars, did not necessarily stick to landing. They didn't become the bestsellers, but uh, the comic book did. The comic book showed Marvel what what what, what was out there in terms of fan uh, excitement and in terms of uh, engagement. And I think it brought a lot of young readers because they've told me I, I, on on the episodes that I ever do of Secret Wars, people tell me, Rob, that's when I got into comics. I saw that ad, and how could you not the entire like be connected and turned on by the in, entire cast rushing towards you as Mike Zek uh, depicted for the cover of Secret Wars number one, Captain America leading the charge, F Men X uh, FF X Men Avengers, all Spider Man behind him, just incredibly, uh, you know, engaging, and and I think Secret Wars. Uh, the first one is a legendary achievement sales-wise, engagement-wise, and uh, fandom just loved it. It really defines the comic books. Again, in the back half of 84, just a lot of good comic books, a lot of good comic books. Green Lantern, check it out. The New Titans, Legion, um, DC was beginning to position itself for uh, this incredible run with Crisis that launches right into the next month and 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 does what Secret Wars did in, did in 84, Crisis is about to do. Who's Who in the DC Universe is uh, starts uh, DC's, DC's version of, the, of their handbook, and that launches in December of 1984 and kind of gives you a glimpse of what's going to happen with Who's Who and Crisis being the dominant stories of the final year. But that um, arrives in December of 1984 great year for comics machine man by herb trimpey and barry windsor smith uh was out i mean uh just stuff uh comics were really good they were really 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 good they they didn't again the innovation of 86 is still a little while away but certainly secret wars i think set the table for crisis in terms of excellence uh excellence in engagement and, and 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 proving that fandom was ready for something like this and then crisis as i've said outperformed it in terms of uh story and and intricacy and events and 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 really uh just absolute uh grade a storytelling clinic um but but you don't get there without secret wars secret wars is exciting crisis is moving that's how i would that's how I would dis, uh, distinguish between the two. But really fun year. Great year in comics. And uh, was there grabbing them each and every week. And sometimes, occasionally, they would comfort me in times of, uh, of, of absolute boredom like I was when, when I was sitting there d- d- doing my traffic school on a Saturday afternoon in 1984. The music of 1984 is where we're going to go next. And I, again, the, my junior year in high school is... is uh, for me, is always remembered as, as my favorite. It was just, 
I did high school the best my junior year. I don't know about you. Maybe it was your sophomore year. Certainly, come on. It can't be your freshman year. Is anybody's freshman year their favorite? Um, your senior year, you're now just running out the clock. My junior year just seemed to be the time when the friendships, uh, the relationships, the sheer fun of high school uh, was an all-time high for me. Maybe it was for you too, whatever your junior year was. This year, this 1984 year, uh, just incredible. The music it is incredible. Let me let me tell you the top albums uh, of 1984 because it's just a phenomenal, an absolute phenomenal list. Um, this isn't critical acclaim. This is like what what sold, like like the the stuff that was that was moving the needle, the stuff that that people were going were going crazy over, and. Uh, <clears throat> When, when we go to best-selling albums of 1984, uh, can you believe that Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen, I, I started 1984 off talking about the Americana. Now, he's mourning what he believes has happened, uh, that, 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 that the poor and, and, uh, and, 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 and several different um, you know, factions that are represented in the United States were beginning left behind while the rich get richer and Wall Street gets more powerful. And, 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 and Bruce Springsteen certainly was bemoaning the same Reagan era that I said was defining our time. And, you know, Born in the USA was not a rah-rah Reagan album. It, 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 and, and, and his anthem, Born in the USA, is not so much celebrating it again as is um, he's, he's, you know, <clears throat> memorializing a sad time. That, that he felt we had arrived at um, and, and at a time of greed, because they will tell you that the Reagan era was marked by greed. Uh, again, I'm, I'm 15, 16, not, not as certain as I, you know, that I'm paying attention to all this, but when I draw uh, every day, I have these old reruns on. And especially in the weekends, the 80s sitcoms, uh, stuff like Silver Spoon, stuff like Family Ties, and it really drives home the point of the, the greed era that, that, that we've discussed and, and, and we're referencing with the rich dads and the even richer grand, grandparents like in, in, uh, in, in, in Silver Spoons. And then uh, with, with, the <laughs> with, with guys like uh, Alex P. Keaton, Michael, Michael, Michael J. Fox's character on Family Ties, who just wants to be rich and, and, uh, and, and have incredible influence. The, uh, you got, you got born in the USA sold 30 million, 30 million albums. Uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers led the legend album sold 28 million. Prince, the purple rain soundtrack sold 25 million. Right on his heels, Madonna's Like a Virgin, 21 million. Brian Adams, do you remember the arrival of Brian Adams? Canada's um, pop rock sensation. Brian Adams uh, had 12 million. I mean, I mean, again, now now once you leave the top five, I mean, the, the difference between Madonna and and Brian Adams, I mean, so, so the top four were the superstar rankings. You know, 30, 25, 28. Madonna, 21. Then you go 12 million. Great. I mean, who doesn't want an album that sells 12 million copies? Brian Adam was crushing it. But that is, that is a nice, you know, uh, 19. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. That, 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 that is a nice uh, <clears throat> 9 million, full 9 million behind Madonna. Van Halen, one of the albums I really associate with 1984. Their 1984 album with Jump, 
Hot for Teacher. That sold 11 million. The Footloose soundtrack tore it up and it sold 11 million. It was right behind Van Halen. I mean, Van Halen beats it by like 20,000 units for that Footloose soundtrack. Again, I remember I saw Footloose with my friend Melanie at the Orange Cynodome the Friday night that it came out and it, they had just done such a great to- uh, job on MTV with the spots and the and just just selling the grooves, the jam, the music. This small town boy who's going to transform this. Uh, I mean, the, this big city kid who's going to transform this small town. Who who they've been told they can't dance. Um, saw, again, saw this again on cable. Just brought a big smile to my to my face. In the pandemic, I figured this is a movie my daughter would really like. Just with the romance and all the different characters. Sarah Jessica Parker is great in this movie, um, and Laurie Singer. Um, what 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 a moment, man! Lori Singer, her brother Mark Singer, who we would know as Beastmaster, uh, and also we would know uh, from the from V, uh, w- w- which has a 1984 imprint that we're going to discuss. Uh, the the singers had quite had quite a, a state a showing that they made quite a statement in 1984. Wham! Make it big, 99 million. 500,000 albums was your number eight. Tina Turner, Private Dancer, rest in peace. Tina Turner, incredible. Uh, huge album for her, 8 million copies. And then number 10, you're, you're going to be shocked. Uh, you know, uh, Julio Iglesias. Uh, Julio Iglesias uh, was the handsome crooner. And uh, the, he, he, he uh, with, with the, with the uh, very soothing the very soothing voice, um, a lot of ballads, a lot of romance with Julio Iglesias. I imagine a lot of kids were made <laughs> listening to his 1100 Bel Air Place album that placed 10 for the year. Um, here's 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 the thing. Let's go back to the top of the charts because that's where the story is. That is 100% where uh, the story is for these. Michael Jackson's thriller would uh, would 1,000% continue to uh, dominate going into from 1983 which we did a, a decade series on and and we, we told you how many umpteen weeks he was number one well he continued into 1984 the thriller album jumped from 1983 to 1984 and it had 22 weeks uh in, in 1983 at number one well it it then stayed stayed uh, at the top for an additional 15 weeks you open up all of January, all of February, all of March, and part of April. So literally 1984, January 7th, for the week of January 7th to the week of April 14th, and everything in between, Thriller is the number one album. Uh, I mean, this, this is phenomenal. Again, just contributing to its epic record uh, sales performance that to this day it dominates battling with the Eagles' greatest hits for the best-selling album of all time. All of January, all of February, all of March, and two weeks in April. And then Footloose comes in. Footloose is released. Footloose comes on the charts for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks from April 21st to the end of June. It is number one. For one single week, <clears throat> the last day of June into the first week of July, Huey Lewis and their sports album. The album that uh, really put them on the on the map, uh, and, and broke uh, with with uh, you know if this is it and and, and so many of their other uh, breakout hits prior to them exploding on the back Back to the Future album that uh, they got they got a week at the top. Summer nineteen eighty four 
Bruce Springsteen, July 7th, July 14th, July 21st, July 28th, born in the USA, uh, Dancing in the Dark, where he pulls a, we all saw her for the first time, Courtney Cox up on stage to do that uh, end of the music video dance together. And Bruce, Bruce with his super, you know, muscular physique, tight, tight jeans, uh, you know, tight shirt, doing his big dance in front of everybody. Uh, Dance in the Dark launched that album. Born in the USA would follow so many other great hits. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, who had been a very kind of soulful rocker, uh, just exploded with almost what, what what some would say is a pop album. It, it was so catchy, and uh, and really took on and put him in a in, in a place that he had. I don't I, I don't think he had anticipated being, which is you know a, a giant mega worldwide uh, superstar that 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 invoked both rock and pop and then it is the giant explosion and if and, and if and if i'm correct this is 21 the remaining from august 4th to december 29th there will not be one more album that tops the chart it is it is the domain the dominion uh it is prince's world and we're just living in it purple rain the soundtrack to his giant breakout film a film and an album that introduced so many people to Prince. Um, uh, it, his his nineteen seventy nine "I Want to Be Your Lover" was was just an earworm that we couldn't stop listening to. Um, Little Red Corvette, all this other stuff, set the stage uh, for what was coming with Purple Rain, and and Purple Rain would just uh, there there isn't a track on that album that to this day isn't infinitely listenable to. Uh, August 4th, August 11th, August 18th, August 25th, September 1, September 8th. It just keeps going. It's all. It's number one in all of October, all of November, and December 29th, it closes the year. I believe it's 22 weeks at, at the top. This is where Prince became the, the, the Prince of, of all time. Like just, again, just that rocket ship moment. It happened for Bruce Springsteen and then it happened for, uh, for Prince. Now, you know, the, the funny thing is to get to where Madonna was, she was probably number two in each one of these charts for, 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 you know, 20, 30 weeks. She, she, she's, she's up there. She, she's in the top five. That's how she gets to be the top four album. Same with Van Halen. They were number number one, but, um, the, 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 again, the year of 1984 had four artists top the, I mean, I'm sorry, five albums top the chart and that's it. Um, <clears throat> it was, uh, Five number one albums uh, dominated 1984. It was the fewest in history. And so uh, this is just just absolutely in- incredible. Uh, Purple Rain, just never look back. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm just caught up in my own memories. It was, it was when my... Uh, I was I was taking my kid to a travel travel ball game on a Friday night uh, several years back when when the news broke that Prince had passed away and you know that weekend all we did was 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 jammed all of our different Prince songs and and I have no doubt that Purple Rain was heaviest in the rotation because this is just the uh, epitome of a of a perfect album uh, from from the title track uh, and 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 everything literally every sing every single tune that follows i mean <clears throat> tell tell me tell me where 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 the uh you know tell tell me where the weak link on that album is i i would absolutely you know 
love to hear it. Uh, I mean, let's go crazy. Take me with you. The beautiful ones, Computer Blue, Darling Nikki. When Doves Cry, I Would Die For You, Baby I'm a Star, Purple Rain. The, I mean, this thing is, uh, it is absolutely loaded. It's, it's, uh, it had five top singles, which is When Doves Cry, Let's Go Crazy, Purple Rain. Those are the top three from the album. I Would Die For You, number four, and Take Me With You. I mean, uh, man, what, what a career, what a, what a statement, what a statement, uh, year, Again, the British invasion was a big deal. A lot of these bands that had that had broken in the early 80s, 81, 82, were having big giant moments uh, like like Duran Duran, like Culture Club, like Spandau Ballet. Uh, they were bec- like Wham. I mean, George Michael and Andrew Ridgely dominated. Again, it was it was an age of videos. And you know, now that we don't have music videos, I can't tell my kids how vi- videos you know change change music. And of course, the the um, the video killed the radio star. It's true. And I joke about it all the time. You know, suddenly you had to be incredibly handsome with these incredible cheekbones, these, these very, uh, carved out chins and, and just the women were beautiful. The men were even prettier. <laughs> That's how I remember this period of the eighties, Simon LeBon, uh, George Michael. Uh, I mean, they, just these guys dominated and, and, and the, the, uh, Kind of the Leonard Skinner's, even even the Journeys, uh, just just even Journey had a ton of success in the early '80s, but but it was so being dominated by these pretty boys and these British pop stars, and some of the more eclectic bands like uh, like uh, <clears throat> Dexys, Midnight Runner, uh, you know, they they would adopt kind of a humorous. They could then sell you with humor. Men at Work, that obviously Australian. Uh, they they would send sell you on humor, but still MTV is really dictating because what goes along with each one of those print songs. Uh, I've already mentioned the the Bruce Springsteen, and of course we talked about it with Michael Jackson. What 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 accompanies each one of those is a killer music video, a killer and expensive music video. Trust me, I didn't. Um, the music video boom. We could do an entire episode on the early two thousands, and so many comic book artists like Dan Frega were storyboarding. Uh, these these music videos because they they really hit their peak um, in in the late nineties like nineteen ninety nine into two thousand two thousand one that's when the budgets for these videos got insane millions upon millions of dollars were spent on these music videos and so many of the directors were cleaning up they would make more uh, in a week shooting a music video taking their cut of the budget than they would making two films two feature films but uh, that all started here with these incredible music videos that were being laid down by these in, in incredible acts five albums top the chart the fewest in chart history Huey Lewis if Huey Lewis doesn't sneak in there for one single week uh you know we, we, we we'd have four just four Michael Jackson uh Bruce Springsteen the Footloose soundtrack, Huey Lewis for one week, and then Prince just avalanches the charts. Great time. And 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 Prince, you know, again, not just his music and his videos, but he would impact fashion. Taking uh classes, you know, fall of 1984. I mean, you are you are seeing the Prince fashion hit, and it carries all the way through 19 um 1985. That's one thing. He and Michael Jackson and Madonna, they impacted the way people uh looked that the Madonna album was a latter part of the year because she was following up her giant 
album. And the thing, I, I was talking to my daughter about Madonna and we were talking about Taylor Swift and we were talking about dominant female artists. And there was a 10-year period, like literally 1993, I'm sorry, 1983, 1993, no female act burned hotter, uh, more consistent, was more dependable in terms of just uh, nailing hit music after hit song after hit single uh janet jackson would sneak in there of course and become a behemoth in her own right but madonna came out of nowhere and just dominated and this like a virgin this follow-up album uh just exploded with also that 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 lead single like a virgin just taking everybody by by storm so uh madonna even though she didn't top the chart she was hugely influential and you want to talk about um every so many girls adopted the hand gloves, the, the the skirts, the tops, kind of wearing lingerie to school, which was what Madonna was doing in her music videos, became a thing. Music has always been so impactful, so influential. And I would say even maybe never more so than it was in 1984. That is the music of 1984. That was the soundtrack when we were buying all those cool, kick-ass comic books. That's what we were listening to. And you're like, screw that life. That was into hardcore punk. Okay, you were. The rest of us, okay, we were listening to the pops and the hits and the top of the charts. The the television, the television of 1984 is where we're gonna um, kind of pivot towards our towards our wrap up. And so so the nighttime soap that we had discussed in 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 uh, in 85, we've discussed it in 83. That uh, they were battling it out on top. Dallas had really set. Uh, a show called Dallas, set in Dallas with Bobby Ewing, J.R. Ewing, Larry Hagman, uh, famously portraying this tyrant, this kingpin-type character, this oil tycoon uh, who was just out to make everyone's lives miserable. He was the bad seed, the bad son, uh, the evil uh, offspring uh, of the Ewings. Dallas had really just blown up and 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 re and and reconstructed what what was seen as the nighttime soap. You know, a soap opera in prime time with millions of eyeballs. And, and and who shot JR in the early 80s? I mean, it was on t-shirts. It was on magazine covers. It was the subject of the news. Um, I remember all summer long. And it was prolonged by a strike. A writer's strike prolonged it. Some some strike. Maybe it wasn't writers. Uh, but, but, but so we didn't get to the conclusion until even further than we had anticipated. They had anticipated when they teased us with it. But uh, all this stuff about Dallas, and it's not the number one show. It's not the number one soap opera of... of uh, of, of of 1984, it is the it is the show it imitated. I mean, the, the show that it spawned, the Imitator, uh, Dynasty, on 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 ABC, and uh, Dynasty just topped the charts, out uh, edging Dallas by one million viewers. Dynasty with 25 million viewers uh, was the number one show. The 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 Carringtons and their saga. Uh, if, if memory serves, set in Denver, set in Colorado. So, uh, and all of their international, uh, uh, you know, exploits and the relationships. And, uh, I mean, at some point there's a wedding in a, in, in, in a foreign country, uh, that ends the year in 84 and picks up in 1985. Um, I'm going to tell you that this actually is kind of a 84, 85 story, but I, when I got back from, I've always I've told you guys that I went away for the summer of 1985 to take care of my uh, dad who was recovering from brain surgery. And when I came back, my buddy John, love him, still were, were in, incredibly tight to this day. John Khalil uh, and his family rented me a room. And so I had an upstairs bedroom. Uh, I got home from work one night on a Wednesday. 
and it was the season premiere of Dynasty in in in, uh, in either late September, early October, and the red light was on, and I figured, well, I'd like to watch, you know, what was on TV. There was only one TV. I clicked it on, and uh, and by doing so, I killed the recording. And, and, and whatever I did wrong, and I most certainly did something wrong, I, uh, I erased Dynasty's season premiere. And John's mom, uh, to say she lost her shit uh, would be an understatement. Her, um, I, 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 uh, I, I interrupted a, you want to know how, 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 uh, how important Dynasty was? I was chewed out. I was almost kicked out of the house that night. I was always um, removed as a, a, a of, of my room and board because stupidly I had hit a button that stopped the recording. So she had gotten home from I think she was doing uh, choir practice at uh, at the church that she was attending, and she came home to sit down to uh, watch Dynasty and screamed. Uh, I, I was in a lot of trouble, and so <laughs> this is the carryover. Okay. Uh, the, the, so the 1985 premiere is almost a year, an entire year later, but dynasty was beloved. And I knew it cause I almost lost my room and board cause I corrupted the season premiere. It was quiet that week. I may not have made eye contact with anybody the rest of that week. I knew that my time was short and they were going to boot me and I needed this entire situation to, to work out. And I spent, uh, you know, many, many weeks attempting to, uh, to, to, you know, make up for, for, for the fact that I had corrupted the season premiere of her very favorite show. Honestly, the next week by, by episode two, I was able to, to kind of find my way back. And, and, and because now there was a new dynasty. And again, this just emphasizes that you could not immediately go on the internet or order it up on streaming. If you didn't see it and you didn't VCR it and they were VCRing it and I screwed it up and nearly lost my room and board. Well, dynasty was the number one show of 1984. Dallas was number two. The nighttime soap dramas uh, were, were just uh, dictating everything. Knott's Landing and Falcon Crest, two more uh, nighttime soaps. And, and, and Knott's Landing actually was a spinoff of Dallas. So you got four of the top ten. So this is the era we're talking about. But the, the, the show that came out of nowhere to redefine television for the next five, six years was The Cosby Show. It's weird to talk about it. It's weird to talk about Bill Cosby, given that he has um, uh, become the center of... of all these terrible, uh, abusive stories and these women who come out and, and say he, he would like basically give them medicine. And I mean, I even heard it yesterday. There, there's a, a woman who has uh, been cleared to go ahead with her lawsuit and, and he was, um, doing all sorts of, I mean, they've used the, the obviously the word rape, um, repeatedly. And, and he, he was essentially roofing these women. So, but this guy was America's father. For, for several years, and it started in 1984, uh, his show blows up, comes out of nowhere. Now, Bill Cosby was around. He was an actor. He had television shows, his comedy specials. We all knew him selling us jello pudding pops uh, uh, on, t- on, tele- on television. The Huxtables, uh, the family that he put forth in the Cosby show, uh, the, 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 t- to this day, the opening episode where he tells his son, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out was so like laugh out loud funny and resonant but it was an upscale family uh and 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 you know wasn't the same kind of uh 
the Jeffersons had been popular 10 years before. They had topped the charts on CBS. They were also a spinoff of a show called On the Family. And they were incredibly funny. We watched the Jeffersons all the time. Um, there, there certainly had been black families at the top of the charts. But the Cosby show seemed to tackle social issues. It, um, it, it, it tackled teen angst. It tackled uh, just so many different, very practical uh, subjects of the time, but also presented you with this husband and wife who were incredibly in love with each other, who were two incredibly successful, uh, you know, career minded people with, with, you know, considerable wealth. And yet they were down to earth. They were approachable. They were funny. You, you, you saw how, how, whatever kids that they were involving with, with their entire family, their daughters, their son, uh, you know, they were just these awesome parents that would listen to problems and set you on the right course. And they were great friends and great uh, role models, but they were always funny. This was uh, just an incredible rating success. It blew up. It's the number three show. Bill Cosby and the Cosby Show would go on to uh, spin off shows of its own with uh, with a different world and, 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 other, and other shows that had characters coming in and out in order to pivot and set up uh, other giant hits for NBC, but this was the beginning of NBC coming all the way back. NBC, which was kind of the third ranked network because CBS and ABC had been fighting it out since I was a kid. And, and, and then NBC with the Cosby show. And then in, in the immediacy during this period, family ties followed uh, Cosby show. They would then spin family ties off because it was so strong and so popular on its own as Sunday nights. But family ties is a number is a number five show. Um, Cosby and Family Ties are the number three and the number five. What's wedged in between there is the long-running uh, news magazine, 60 Minutes, which never seems to fall out of the top 10. So your top five shows are Dynasty with the saga of the Carrington uh, family, uh, Dallas, the Ewing clan, number two. These are 25 million, 24 million viewers. The Cosby Show, boom, explodes it's only a 30-minute show, but it gets 24 million viewers. 60 minutes, 22 million. Family Ties, top five, uh, number five in the top five, 22 million. The A-Team, again, ABC, uh, still coasting off that uh, Super Bowl juice that that that, that we uh, all encountered the A-Team uh, following the Super Bowl that year. The A-Team with 21 million was number six. Simon and Simon, because you always have to have some sort of detective show in private investigator uh, show. Simon and Simon on CBS and Murder, She Wrote were number seven and eight. Angela Lansbury, and again, her long-running Murder, She Wrote show. And as I said, Knott's Landing and Falcon Crest close out nine, nine and ten are um, both with 20 million viewers. Can you believe this? We talk, we see now, nowadays shows do seven million. They, they, they do, you know, even, even five million. Oh man, this show did five million. These shows... Everything in the top 10, everything in the top 10 was getting 20 million viewers or more. And at the top were the ones that added five, four, you know, 2 million. Dynasty, 25 million eyeballs. Cheers is about to explode. It's, an, it's number 12 with 19.7 million. Um, Magnum PI is a giant mega hit for CBS. It's finally feeling its legs uh, kind of get wobbly. Uh, not number number fifteen, but still with nineteen million. But it wasn't the 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 sensation aspect of Magnum PI had had rubbed off. So, I mean, this is Monday Night Football 
was not the Monday Night Football that we know now. It was number 25. Number 25 was 17 million uh, viewers. But Cosby Show uh, showed a, a basically a affluential um, black family that was funny, that was they were smart, they were loving, and America just completely ate them up. Cosby was everywhere. Magazine covers, again, talk shows. Uh, the success of the Cosby show, it was fresh at the time. Uh, in, in an incredibly talented cast. Um, but it created a powerhouse for NBC. And it's just, again, weird to think of how... Um, I mean, people would say that Cosby was kind of this, uh, this, this part of this crossover into greater black entertainment. And everything that you would later see... Uh, uh, you know, from the in living color to to uh, so many other sitcoms that would follow. It was like, well, well, Bill Cosby knocked down that door again. I kind of go, how do we get there without the Jeffersons? But people kind of landed at at Bill Cosby's door. The, I would highly recommend you see Eddie Murphy with Jerry Seinfeld in the uh, drinking coffee, driving in cars, or driving cars with coffee, whatever that 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 series that Jerry Seinfeld has. The Eddie Murphy episode. Because again, the 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 year the year of 1984 ends with Beverly Hills Cop being released and Eddie continuing to capitalize on the success, not just from Saturday Night Live, but from 1983's Trading Places, which we covered here in the Decade series of 1983, where he just blew up and became a list, a I mean, just completely like, wow, where did Trading Places come for come from? And I think I told you guys it was in the it was in the top ten like 30, 40 weeks. The actual. Uh, the actual uh, number, the data, is in that 1983 Decades episode. But Eddie Murphy talks to uh, Jerry, Sein Jerry Seinfeld, and, and they go to a comedy club, and, and he talks about how Bill Cosby called him, and kind of they had a caustic relationship, and Cosby didn't like that Eddie cursed, and the way that Eddie portrayed himself, and uh, you know, basically kept kept telling him like, change what you're doing, change what you're doing, and and and. Uh, reflect more of these values and he says that he you know and they discuss was was bill cosby jealous of the superstar eddie murphy was about to become but uh look i i, I grew up um middle, middle income uh white family and the thing that i dug about the time period that i grew up in um i i had black friends um you know i i i as I've told you on this show, looked up to so many different black heroes. Uh, this was this was a time where whether it was Prince or Magic Johnson or Michael Jackson or Bill Cosby or Eddie Murphy or Arsenio Hall, uh, you know, Doug Williams, I believe, was the first uh, black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. If I'm wrong, I'll come back and and, and annotate that at the end of the episode. Uh, but this was a time where, like, it was. You could be anyone in America. It wasn't just about uh, the white guy. And and today, when I see the the racial strife, it just bums me out. And that's all. That's 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 how. That's where I'm going to leave it. Leave it at. But but this is a period where so many uh, talents uh, were exploding that 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 weren't your your you know your white guy. And uh, and I have always um, you know just rooted on success for everybody across the board. And, and so, uh, this was a period where that, these, uh, the, the, 
black entertainers. You can just see the charts, Prince, Cosby Show, the movies, Eddie Murphy. They were they were experiencing some of the biggest success that they had ever uh, succeeded. And I felt like we didn't see color. I felt like we did not see color at the time. We just saw talent and we saw achievement and we saw people that we aspired to. And again, for me, nobody bigger than Magic Johnson in, in, in my household. But uh, yeah, the Cosby... Eddie Murphy dynamic is strange. It's uh, it's it's weird hearing Eddie and Eddie was clearly disturbed by the fact that 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 uh, that that Cosby would call him out. Um, anyway, that that is uh, your top television. Um, again, n- n- nothing near what what would be coming down the road with all these incredible HBO shows and the world that we live in now. Uh Hey, if you're not watching Drops of God on Apple TV, no, I'm not paid to tell you that, but I, I, th- I said HBO, and I really believe Apple is turning into, in terms of quality and and, di- and diverse programming, just kind of like you never know what you're going to get in terms of a great comedy or a great drama or a great sci-fi. It's kind of like the new HBO. That doesn't mean HBO isn't HBO still, or now what they, whatever they call it, Max, but Drops of God. Uh, just look it up. Read the description, give it a chance, you won't regret it. So I just snuck that into a 1984 episode, but I, I literally was unexpectedly pivoted there uh, given that I invoked HBO and, and, and certainly the television of this era was um, very, looking back, it was just very uh, fun and friendly and don't ruin your, your your friend's mom's taping of Dynasty, you will absolutely pay for it. Yes, that happened in 85, but it's because Dynasty got so popular and was the number one show in 84 that I got into that mess in the first place. So there you go. The comic books of 84, the movies of 84, the music of 84, the television of 84. It's a great year. Um, it's a fun year. Uh, we got a PG-13 rating out of it. Maybe, maybe that's the biggest cultural influence that 84 will leave behind, but it was just really good. And, and, and as I said in the first part, the cool thing about the movies were the freshness of the concepts. These were great screenplays. Dan Aykroyd was fascinated by the supernatural. Boom, writes writes Ghostbusters. You know, Karate Kid is is this teenage drama played out with these these karate dojos and this different approach. Uh, you know, kind of a, a a spiritual approach as to just an aggressive uh, you know approach to, to to martial arts and how it plays out. Just amazing. Um, the Police Academy lowbrow humor movies were born in 1984. Uh, Footloose, this 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 really fun, uh, again small town uh, romance kind of pop fairy tale plays out. Just a lot of original stuff. Gremlins, uh, fresh, not based on anything new, but but so many of these as we've talked about. Ghostbusters, Karate Kid with Cobra Kai, obviously the enduring legacy of Indiana Jones. Um, what would, would play out and play on, but, uh, hang, hang on at, at the end of the episode for our annotations. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to throw a couple, I'll, I'll tell you right now, a couple cult classics that we're going to discuss, but we have come not only to the end of our 1984, but we are wrapping up our season five. This is it for me. Uh, for now, uh, it has been an extended, uh, I, th- I think this is I think this is 47 episodes, uh, 47 episodes. We do this twice a week. I took a spring break, uh, but I am about to embark on a summer break and I will not be near the Blue Yeti. I will not have the computer. I will not have the recording uh, stuff with me. Uh, when I first launched this, I think I took it on vacation with me. I've done it in the past. This will not be the case. 
Uh, you're going to please dive back into the library while I'm gone. And I'm going to cook up all new ideas and approaches to bring to you when I get back. But uh, this closes out our, our, our session for uh, this point in time, this, this initial, uh, we're kind of at the halfway mark of 2023. When I return later this summer, I will be back with an all new series of episodes. I just want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for all the interactions. And uh, last week, I did my very first personal appearance uh, that, I, that I've done in uh, in a year at promoting Deadpool Batter Blood, which again, sold out. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to mention it because it's exciting. I'm going to mention it because uh, I did my job and you guys rewarded me. And I just want to say thank you. And when I did this signing at Tustin Tunes and Toys, I'm going to tell you a dozen uh, folks went out of their way to tell me how much they enjoyed the podcast. If you encountered me in that way, I have told you then immediately, why do you like it? Tell me what I'm doing that you uh, respond to. And, and, and so many of you uh, have, have shared with me. It's the older magazines, the interviews, the feuds, uh, the, the personal stories, uh, kind of the, the inside baseball aspects that we discuss here. I was just blown away. Um, a couple of you told me I just drove down from LA to talk to you about your podcast and I was absolutely blown away. My gratitude is more immense than you could ever possibly love, uh, ever possibly imagine because I love talking comics. I love talking comics. I love talking the effect of comics, the creators of comics. We will never truthfully, uh, I believe, re- receive we as a collective, the all of the great comic book correct, uh, creators, uh, past, present, and future, will never truly receive the acclaim that that is deserved given the world's, the, 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 basically the homework that we put in to bring this stuff to life. I love talking about it and sharing it with you each and every week. And you uh, just honor me with each and every listen of, of, of all the different episodes. So thank you. This was a really fun, uh, fun, fun, fun season. It, it tested me. I really, I, I pushed to, 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 to look around the corner for some, from new, new and interesting approaches to maybe some familiar topics. Thanks for going on this ride for me, uh, this ride with me. I will, uh, be back with all new episodes. So go through the catalog. I, I mean, are there 285? I think there's a lot of episodes. So go back, check those out. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I'll be back with fresh new stuff. And I cannot, again, thank you for, for listening. While I'm gone, I'm still going to be on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. On Twitter, I'm at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Catch me on Twitter. I love talking to you guys, your discussions, your mentions, your replies, your DMs. I read them all. I try and get back to all of you guys, um, no matter how kind of, you know, ipso nutso some of the comments get. Uh, So on Twitter, I'm at Robert Liefeld. On Instagram, I'm at Rob Liefeld. Give me a follow. Um, I, I put photographs of what I'm drawing, w- what I'm eating, where I'm hanging out with my family, my friends. Uh, you know, I, I would just love for you to follow me over on Instagram. I love reading, again, your messages, your DMs, your comments. Thank you for being so generous and so kind and for uh, for giving me a follow over on Instagram. I, I have a blue check over there that signifies that I am actually the legit, real Rob Liefeld um, and I didn't have to pay for it. Uh, so so it, it, I've had it since, since very early on and I'm very appreciative uh, because there are just there are you know ph- phony accounts, and that's re- really the, the, what the verification to me the, where, where it becomes so helpful. At Rob Liefeld, just R O B L I E F E L D. Love to see you over on Instagram. Now, 
Whatnot, I have a few shows left. Uh, Whatnot is an app you've got to get. It, it has the most killer uh, collectibles, sports cards, trading cards, game cards, comic books, Funkos, toys. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm quite certain that in the future, they'll be selling you homes and, and, and maybe they're already selling you cars, but whatnot is absolutely just, uh, just the best place, the interface, the interaction. We were handing out, um, some postcards for whatnot at my signing. I told everybody I was resistant to, and until I wasn't, and then I love it. And you can see me, I'm live stream looking right in the camera. I will draw on a comic. I will remark a comic. I will do a, a specific kind of signature, one of my chisel signatures. Um, we sold out of the chisels at, at the CGC signing, which I'm going to get to in a minute, but the chisel is something that I do. Uh, it, it's that signature that you've seen, the life that you see on the comic books that I've been putting there for three decades. I do all different variations of that. Drop shadow chisel, uh, rainbow chisel, blood splatter chisel, or just the, 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 the splatter chisel that we've pivoted to. Anyway, I'm on camera talking to you the entire time. We're sharing signed comics, signed exclusives. I have a New Mutants Deadpool exclusive from whatnot. I have an amazing Spider-Man, New Mutants 98 homage exclusive that is only through whatnot. I have a Brigade, my own characters, the Extreme Book, Brigade Remastered, number one, a number of different variant comics. Right now, we have our Deadpool Batter Blood exclusives. They are the most exciting uh, comics that we can bring you. I use exciting a lot. I know it. You know it. Um, these covers were great. Whatnot asked me to do a, a, a pair of covers, one featuring Deadpool, one featuring Wolverine, since he's so prominent in the Deadpool Batterblood series. And there's an X-Force variant of both Deadpool and uh, Wolverine. There's a Virgin variant with no trade dress. And then there's the trade dress with the logo and the title. And uh, so there's three variants for Deadpool, three variants for Wolverine. I really feel like we knocked it out of the park. I really wanted to, uh, you know, meet the criteria that, that, that whatnot had asked for. And these, these covers have been flying. So, so we have so much exclusive con content. I have exclusive blood wolf covers, exclusive profit covers. So if you like it, my extreme work, you like my Marvel work, you want to check me out on whatnot. These are variant comics only available, uh, through the interface, through, through our interaction. We have a great rating. Our shipping is, is out of this world. And so I would recommend that you download the WhatNot app, uh, app, follow me at Rob Liefeld, and it will tell you when I go live. Um, I was joking that I'm going to do a WhatNot from a plane. <laughs> I don't know that anyone's done a WhatNot from a plane, but man, that would just be fun to do just, just one. But um, anyway, follow me, Rob Liefeld, WhatNot. It'll tell you when I go live. I have a few more shows uh, left before before I'll be gone, and uh, just, just uh, look forward to seeing you over on the WhatNot app. We have a CGC signing. It's coming up. It's going to be here at the end of the Ju end of July. Uh, I have never done a CGC private signing before. They have created a Liefeld logo. They've got different um, different menu options that unfortunately at this time are sold out. Uh, but the main Rob Liefeld signature with a Liefeld custom label is still available. Go to CGC, look up the Rob Liefeld signing, put my name in the CGC search engine. You'll get the details on the signing. Get your books in. You got to get your books in. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go there at the end of the summer and I'm going to sign all these books for you, but you got to send them in first. Do not procrastinate. They say people wait to the last minute and I'm here to tell you, get out ahead of it. Get out ahead of it. Get your books uh, early in line and submit them now. The, the CGC says they're just getting um, submissions right and left. So get on those books, get those submitted. I cannot wait to see what you submit to me for my CGC private signing. Go on the CGC. They are the leading 
grading company in the world. Go to the CGC website, uh, download the Rob Liefeld signing and get those details over on Facebook because we're not done with social media on Facebook and I'll be checking all my social media uh, throughout the summer uh, on Facebook. I am at, <clears throat> there's a group, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. That's our group. We would love to have you join us. Please um, click on in myself or a, another administrator, moderator, Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, Sala, Terry Sala will click you through and you can be part of all the different discussions we have uh, over there about the comics that are coming out, the comics that we've loved. We have art contests. It's just a killer community. Um, I would love for you to be part of it is where so many of these conversations that we have here on the show continue uh, is, is in the Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond group. It's a group. So hit me up on Facebook. I, I think I did it. I think I did it. I've made it through another season. Um, Man, what an exciting time. And and I just thank you guys for hanging with me and being a part of this show. And we will most certainly uh, hook up when 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 I get back. There's one final tag that we're going to approach with the, an, with, with the kind of annotated stuff. And I'll get back to that before I say my last goodbye. So here we are with the uh, annotated edition that's coming at the end of uh, these episodes that I just started implementing where I can kind of give you some afterthoughts and maybe some corrections, uh, some added observations that I, I, I wasn't, uh, focused on when I was first recording. So a couple things, two things, one in terms of movies, uh, I thought I would, uh, th- that I would focus on some of the lesser known, but, but let, let's say the, the cult, the cult movies, uh, stuff that we saw that wasn't at the top of the charts, but, made our childhoods so much richer. You know, Red Dawn, I mentioned, uh, was the number 19 movie, still very popular, made a lot of money for the day. Uh, again, where the, where the where the Russian invasion of America is underway and a group of teenagers, uh, I think it's in Colorado, rally to, to battle against the combined Cuban and Russian forces. I mentioned that, but, you know, honestly, uh, in terms of cult, the original Dune, the original Dune film, uh, for, for so many people, this, this fell short, but I was in, in, incredibly, uh, entertained by the original depiction of, uh, of Paul Atreides and, and House Atreides by, by no less than, than David Lynch, who would go on to completely blow us all away, uh, with, with all the films that, that followed. But, uh, Dune, the original Dune, I enjoy it. I still watch it. I dig it. I have it on, uh, you know, a high-end uh, Blu-ray 4K, the re-release. I got it. I dig it. Uh, I, 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 I watch it often. Uh, Dune. Dune is a definitely a, a cult movie. It made $27 million in 1984. But uh, moving down, the original Nightmare on Elm Street was released in 1984. Uh, made $25 million, but spawned like how many? How many movies? How many spinoffs? Dream Warriors is still my my favorite. Maybe that's the third or the fourth in the installment. Uh, Flamingo Kid, Matt Dillon, killer, like coming of age rom com. Love the Fl- the Flamingo Kid. Uh, last, the Last Starfighter got its own Marvel Comics adaptation as well. The Last Starfighter, kind of, kind of, you know, what if Luke Skywalker lived on Earth and was recruited to battle an evil empire story. Totally dug it. Last Starfire, worth your time. The uh, Night of the Comet, really fun. 
sci-fi film about the end of the world and the, and, and the few survivors. Finally, number 69. I saw this three times that summer. One on a, uh, on a date with, with Jackie Hodges. Dreamscape. Dennis Quaid. Killer. Just an amazing... The, the concepts of Dreamscape. When Inception came out, I felt like this was Christopher Nolan's $200 million version of Dreamscape where Dennis Quaid can enter your dreams and battle... Uh, you in your dreamscape encounter your dreamscapes dreamscapes and your nightmare scapes and uh oh man max von Sydow is uh Sydow is is chilling in this it's it's the the fx are a little low buds but the concept is is fantastic uh dreamscape totally worth your time if again if you can see some kind of whack puppetry and some s- s- stop motion kids kids from today's very best uh cg cg uh you know, computer graphics are going to be shocked. But again, we this is the stuff we grew up with. Dreamscape, Last Starfighter, uh, Night of the Comet. I'm just seeing if I, I missed any of these killer, uh, what I call cult classics. Uh, Flamingo Kid, oh my gosh, just so ridiculously good. Nightmare on Elm Street, the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And of course, Dune ha- ha- had to sneak these cult classics that made 1984 so ridiculously memorable. And finally, in, in our annotations, I want to give a proper shout out. We've given so much uh, time to the red cost. I'm sorry, the black costume that 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 launched, you know, a new version of of Spider Man that really energized the fan base and gave gave an alternate Spider Man toy. So in the Secret Wars packaging, you got the black costume toy and you got the standard spider-man costume he then obviously went 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 on and <clears throat> was depicted in this black costume for quite some time in his own monthly title and and, and also in marvel 2 and 1 and all the books that spider-man was uh was appearing well what you de- need to know is that a gentleman named richard Schuler was the original architect for uh for this this entire concept, and Richard Schuler had written a letter uh, into into uh, in, into uh, Jim Shooter, and had said, "Hey, you should have this. You should have a black Spider Man. You should have a." <laughs> <clears throat> you should have a black Spider-Man in, included in this. And, uh, and he gave a little sketch and in 2019, they finally, uh, excuse me, Randy Schuler. Uh, excuse me, Richard. I called you Richard. You are Randy Schuler. Randy Schuler. Uh, originally proposed, See, this is why we do this in the annotated versions. Soon enough, the annotated versions are going to need the annotated versions. Randy Schuler wrote into Mar- to to, uh, to Jim Shooter, and if I had just clicked on the letter first, I'd just do this. So, from August third, nineteen eighty-two, to Randy Schuler in Illinois, dear Randy, I want to buy this. We'll pay you two hundred and twenty dollars enclosed. Find a work for a work made for hire agreement and a voucher. Sign it. Where marked, write your social security number on it. 
uh, and return it. I will fill in the rest. We'll want to make changes in your plot, which I'll fill in for you after you return the work, the work made for hire form and the voucher. If all goes well, if all goes well, we will give you a shot at scripting this story. Best Jim Shooter editor in chief, Marvel Comics Group on the Marvel Comics Group stationery. Randy Schuler sent in the concept. He wanted Reed Richards to create an unstable molecule uniform for Spider-Man, but it was black with just a spider signal. That there is a uh, what looks to be a children's sketch. Uh, never known if if this is truly uh, verified. Uh, but 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 the letter certainly is because this is a snapshot of the letter that Jim Shooter shared on his blog back in 2010-2011 uh, when his blog was all the rage. But Randy Schuler proposed this and they paid him for it and they finally printed his story. They pro- finally gave a shot. Uh, they, 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 they took his plot to press in 2019 in a special issue. But Randy Schuler is the reason that we have the black costume to begin with, Jim Shooter paid him $220, which I got to be honest, back in 1992, 1982 money was very generous for a mail-in. Uh, the reason Jim also was was probably so prone uh, and, and open to this, uh, Jim Shooter started his career submitting stories for Superboy to DC Comics through the mail. And eventually one of the editors read one and liked it so much that they hired him. So this is really him paying it forward, and he obviously, Randy, would have no idea the success that the black costume would go on to be and everything that followed, but certainly he filled out that work for higher form. He got paid, and he is part of the legend of the black Spider-Man costume. So Randy Schuler, toast, uh, you know, a toast to you, glasses up, cheers, uh, the, the, the Secret Wars 8, Amazing 252, all of that, none of that happens. Uh, without without this incredible piece of history that was unearthed a couple decades back, and and I'm so glad to share it with you today. Given that we celebrated this all all throughout the episode 1984, we would be remiss. I want to also, given that Secret Wars was such a big deal and such a financial just uh, windfall for Marvel and a, and a giant success, I want to I want to give you Jim Shooter's own words from his blog in 2011. He says, uh, Secret Wars, this is in Jim Shooter's own words, Secret Wars was the first mega crossover. It was incredibly successful. Afterwards, mega crossovers became the staple of the comic book publishing industry. For me, it was one of the most difficult and yet enjoyable things I've ever done. To this day, when I go to conventions, I'm asked to sign many, many copies. Lots of people tell me that Secret Wars is what first got them into comics. Makes sense. The idea came from the fans. I am proud to have been a part of it. That sentence afterwards, mega crossovers became a staple of comic book publishing. That is the understatement of the year. It all went down in 1984. Thank you for joining me for this special annotated uh, you know, section of the podcast. You guys, I've given you all my hangouts, all the social places you can find me. You never know when the, the goodbyes are going to come and if they're going to stick and if they're going to be lasted. It is my intent to come back to this show. I, I will miss you. I will miss our interactions. I will certainly miss uh, this being the thing that we talk about because the podcast has been the thing that I talk about the most with anybody, more so than any of the work that I've produced in the last three years. Uh, the gentleman who came to Tustin Tunes and Toys and told me it was like uh, hooking up with a friend who liked comics back in the day 
and just talking all afternoon about comic books. I get it. That that that's why I did it, and I'm so glad that that um, it is received in in that manner. Thank you again. Have a great summer, you guys. Summer is my my favorite season. It always has been. It always will be. The longer days uh, come, rain come, shine. Sometimes it's foggy. Sometimes you know we get the June gloom. But summer uh, is absolutely just my my favorite time of year. I love the holidays uh, from Memorial Day to Labor Day, 4th of July in between, all the time with family and friends, all the great food, all the great travel. Have the very best summer. Have a great time. Uh, if I return in July uh, on, on time, we'll catch up. In that time, I hope you have uh, just the biggest smiles and the, and, the, and the most laughter with your family. Uh, I have certainly enjoyed spending all this time with you. I'll come back with my own tales, hopefully some great comics on the way. Do not forget to go to your comic store, support your local comic store, buy comics from them, keep them in business. They are the bedrock of everything we do without the retailers. Uh, the, 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 the comic publishers can't survive. Because the middleman is still so important and you know how much you love going to those clubhouses. So support your retailer, read comics, uh, buy my comics, buy Deadpool Batterblood, please. Uh, I appreciate you so much. Keep your mental, emotional, physical, uh, and spiritual health uh, at the foremost. You, if you need a break, take a break. You know me, take a comic book with you or take a great book. It's summertime. There's a reason they call them beach reading. Uh, watch a cool show, streaming, movie, get out to the movies. Oh my gosh, there are so many great movies. I'm looking forward to Indiana Jones. Mission Impossible is on the top of my list. I uh, cannot wait to consume and experience these. Uh, so so literally, take, take, take that day off if you need it. Get away from the grind. Relax. Enjoy. I am rooting for you. I will miss you. Uh, I'll be back. And, and, and I'm going to say this with conviction. We will most certainly, absolutely, and inevitably talk again down the road.